Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on Black and White and Red All Over. I am your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 75. And how fitting that we are on a nice sounding number and what we are about to talk about is not very nice at all. So as always, if you want to listen to us on your favorite podcasting platform, feel free to search Black and White and Red All Over, whether it is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on Spotify. Hit subscribe and like leave us a review and a rating if possible and now to the happy stuff we've got sam lepressi hello sam happy happy joy joy happy happy joy joy so are you ren or are you stimpy uh yes yes exactly. <laughs> no chucks this week because he is being a good fiance so we've got sergio romero hello sergio hey fellas happy to be here as always happy in general to do the podcast not happy about how the whole situation is going but you know it's 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 going to be a, a solid group therapy, I'm guessing. <laughs> yes, indeed. Speaking of the quote-unquote situation, Sergio, what's your takeaway from the week? Diving right into it, I'm going to be short. I, I think Juventus is not a good team. They're, they're not a good football team. They're just not. And, you know, they have the name. They have the, the brand recognition. They have the players uh, with big na- sounding names. But, you know, when it comes to it, they're just not a good football team. And this week showed how far they are from really, really competing, especially when faced against their direct competition domestically and someone who, and a team 
that is going to be contending for the Champions League, they they just couldn't ha- they just couldn't match up. They just couldn't match up. They're not a good football team. I don't know if that's just right now. If they're not a good football team right now, or just as a whole, and for the remainder of the season, they're going to continue to be a bad team. But that's just that's just the facts, and I think that's my biggest takeaway of of the week. What about you, Samuel? My unfortunate takeaway is is a corollary of Sergio's, which is I don't think we're going to be a good soccer team for a long time yet because I don't see us getting out of this quickly. I mean, I, I, I said this in my recap. I don't think Juventus makes the Champions League next year. Juventus doesn't make the Champions League next year. That is a lot of money that they're not making. That is a lot of players that are probably going to be headed out of here. And we're going to have to be building from the ground up. We're kind of looking at the Jean-Claude Blanc years because I don't see a quick, I don't see a quick way out of this without making the Champions League next year. And I don't think we are. Yeah, I think for me this week was definitely, and I remember there was a point last season, I think it was about two-thirds of the way through or maybe three-quarters of the way, essentially when the Pirlo era went from they're sitting around third place, they're still within striking distance of the of the two Milan sides, and then it just caved in and went downhill in a hurry. And it's obviously something that I'm sure a good portion of the listenership here has, and also the people on the blog as readers have been recounting as we've been going through the episodes of All or Nothing on Amazon Prime over the last few days. And th- this is kind of the 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 week where it's like, man, this this shows you just how far this team has to go to not only be competitive for a consistent amount of time. And, you know, obviously we're just not very long removed from a unbeaten run that where they look somewhat decent for a good portion of the time, but it just, yeah, it, it, it's that moment where you're like, oh boy, this this is <laughs> we better get comfortable because this this is not going to be a, a good ride and it's not going to end pretty. And I mean, as much as last season was really a literal last minute battle to get into the Champions League, you know, there's there's still a ha- over half of a season to go. But I don't know this. It, it's I'm kind of at a a loss for words and and I mean I. I've struggled with writing about this team the last few few games just because I don't know where to go with it. And that's because the week started and obviously we're in a much different mood than we were seven days ago. It started with a, a, a just an absolute kicking as I marked down my first note for editing on the hands of the reigning Champions League winners in Chelsea at Stamford Bridge where not only was Max Allegri's starting lineup questionable to maybe put it kindly but just every anything that could have gone wrong did go wrong and yeah I don't I don't know who wants to go after me rambling or whatever you want to call this takeaway and part transition segment of mine but the match against Chelsea was definitely a crash back down to reality which I guess a lot of us needed because I was a whole lot more optimistic this time around than last time around against Chelsea. And boy, was I wrong. Yeah, I wasn't thinking that a win was really in the cards, but I thought we could go in there and get a draw, either a nil-nil or something low scoring. But it you know, it comes down to really the, the thing that is 
the thing that is problem that is so problematic about this team is 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 in the attack and you know the fact that Juve barely got anything going from an attacking standpoint against Chelsea. They barely got anything going from an attacking standpoint against Atalanta. I know we're that's skipping ahead, but you know that was a team that had just gotten blitzed in the midweek by by young boys. I mean we. You know, we played young boys in recent memory. We know that they are not exactly a quality side, at, at least at that level. And here we are with two shots on goal that entire game. And I don't know how many shots on goal we had against Chelsea, but it was a very small number. You know, and as soon as you say Juventus isn't scoring goals, everybody brings up the Cristiano Ronaldo sized gorilla in the room. But it's not even, it, to me, it's not a question of, of not being able to finish. It's a question of not being able to create the chances in the first place. And, and, you know, and, and Allegri after the Atalanta game was talking a lot about how that, you know, players are too anxious. The finishing needs to get better, but it's not just that. I could count the number of times where I really thought Juventus was going to score from open play this, this entire week on one hand. And if you're going up against the elite of your competitions, whether it be European or domestically, and you can't score goals, your margin for error is nil. And as soon as that margin got breached, that was it for, especially against Chelsea in the Chelsea game. As soon as we scored, I, I knew that I knew that the result was gone because I didn't see, I didn't think we had a goal in us partly because of the way the team was set up, which was, was a hundred percent, you know, Allegri was basically could have just been waving a flag in the technical area saying play for nil nil. And that, that based on that lineup and this isn't a team that can generate that kind of offense against, against the teams that it is on whose levels they want to be. And yes, Chelsea is one of the elite defensive teams in, in Europe right now at the level of, of peak BBC for us when, you know, in the middle of last decade, but, you know, you, you want to see the goalkeeper troubled a few times. The only time I ever thought we were going to score in the Chelsea game was when Morata had the tip that, that Thiago Silva somehow ran down. So, yeah, just this attack doesn't work. You know, a lot of it has to do with the midfield because as good as Manuel Locatelli is, he can't do everything and no one else in the midfield can cre- is, is able to really create. McKenney can kind of can kind of be a, a, a final link coming up through the channel, but he's not a creative guy. And, you know, here we are spinning our wheels. You know, when was, I don't remember the last time we scored. Lazio was the last, was, you know, a two nil win. Uh, remind me the last time we scored more than one goal before that. I think it was when we beat Sampdoria at the end of September. In the league. Yeah. Cause that, I mean, the, the, the right, only, you're right. yeah, there was Malmo, but and there was Malmo. There's also Zenit, right. And, and Zenit. Yeah. Hero, but, so. but, and, but that, that almost makes it worse. Cause it's not even the European competition you're doing with it's domestic and it's against teams that aren't that good. I mean, you know, Fiorentina, you know, they're, they've had a, a, a good spell this year with Vincenzo Italiana, but he is not that, you know, they are not the kind of team that we should be banking on a stoppage time winner against. You know, I don't think this Roma team is as good as, a, as a one nil win for us it it just it, there's nothing in this attack and it doesn't look like there's anything 
that these players can do, at least under what Allegri is telling them, to fix it. I thought that the biggest difference between the, the first game against Chelsea uh, in Italy and the game against Chelsea in England was that, you know, I think the, the core idea or the core thought about how to get the result was the same, which was, let's defend, let's park the bus and hope for some luck. But it was very different in the way they approach it. I, I thought that in Italy, it was gimmicky, sure. And it was forced because they were without without a lot of players and with some injuries. But they didn't really have a, a point of a, a target man, a point of attack, really, with Federico Bernardeschi, with Chiesa. They didn't really have a, a straight-up striker, but they had a lot of players that could provide an outlet, that could kind of, you know, if you had a chance on the counter... They could attack. They could they could dribble and attack and get that counterattack started. And I thought that's exactly what they missed in England because, you know, we, we've seen Allegri do this. They, he did it against Chelsea in the first game. He did it against Lazio just a week ago. It feels like a longer longer than a week ago, but it was just a week ago that he's just going to concede the possession and, and be like, okay, you can have the ball because our midfield is going to get overrun. That's fine. But we're not really going to let you do anything with it. And he tried to do the same thing against Chelsea, but that's not going to work against that side twice. And that's definitely not going to work with the way that he tried to approach it in England, which was a straight up, you know, with a target man in Alvaro Morata with like a full midfield. It just wasn't going to work. It was a different approach. I thought the, the strikerless approach in Italy worked great because the defense was a little bit confused. They didn't really know who to cover and everyone could come out and start a counter. It, that just didn't happen in England. They just com got completely bodied from the moment the game started. They just couldn't hold the ball. They just couldn't really do anything. And and look, listen, losing against Chelsea in at Stamford Bridge, that's not horrible. I mean, like, like Sam was saying, that's a truly elite level club in Europe. If you lose against them away, that's fine. I mean, that's a lot of teams would lose to them against uh, away, but it just was the way they lost. They just, they, they had no shot, absolutely no shot. They looked absolutely outclassed. And as, as someone who has rooted for a losing team in, in my domestic league in Mexico, I know what that looks like. I know exactly what that looks like when it's like, okay, we're like in a different class, in a different level. There's really no shot for us here. And that's pretty much the way Chelsea handled Juventus for 90 minutes. It was just a complete slaughter i mean they just had no chance from the get-go and you know it, it, i said it in the in the you know in the first second about our biggest takeaway is just that this team just cannot compete against those clubs in a consistent basis are we going to get lucky here and there are we going to come up with some taxes i think allegri is capable of coming up with a you know cute weird tactic in which federico bernardeschi is the freaking second striker and you know he kind of flummoxes a team and he gets a win He's absolutely still capable of doing that, but you're just going to, you know, gimmicks are only going to take you so far. And when it's a straight up one-on-one -on -one matchup without any gimmicks, without, you know, your best players against our best players, we just really can't compete. And, and I think Allegri does deserve a certain amount of blame because I do think a lot of the decisions he made were kind of questionable. And I think they, they made an already bad situation worse. But at its core, you know, the, the biggest point is that we're just not good enough to compete right now for Europe. And, and that was the goal for so long that it just kind of got ingrained for Juventus fans the last decade. Like, oh, that has to be our goal. And I think at this point, that, that's just, 
so out of reach that that it really it should be you know in the back burner we should be hoping for a positive for a decent round of 16 uh, opponent hope that we get can get into the quarterfinals and that's about it because at this point this team is just not good enough and could the coach make some changes and, and maybe give the team a better shot absolutely but I really don't think there's a coach alive that could come in and mold this team or, or do something with this team that is going to put them at the level of the Chelsea's, of the Bayern Munich, of the Liverpool's, of the really top, top teams. There's absolutely nothing that we can do. And that's a rather harsh reality to, to stomach. But, but I think that's where this, this team is. And like Danny was saying earlier, Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I, I don't think that's going to change quickly. So, Sam, I did the math while Sergio was talking. In 19 games in all competitions, Juventus has scored more than one goal, so they've scored two goals or more seven times. So, a little more than a third of their games, which, not great. Secondly, since we are on the topic of the Champions League and since Sergio just brought up hopefully getting a, a, a decent draw, here are the current group leaders. And obviously some things can happen on the last match day where a few groups could change and, you know, who finishes first. Some teams can flip-flop, essentially, is what I'm getting at here, is Group A, Manchester City. Group B, Liverpool. Obviously Juventus won't be playing Chelsea if things hold there. Group D, Real Madrid. Group C, Ajax. Group G, Lille. Group F, United, which would be hilarious for Juventus to get them. Group E, Bayern Munich, which brings terror to my to my thoughts. And yeah, that is outside of maybe Lille and a United team that is very much kind of in the same situation as Juventus right now, although without an actual manager. That's about as big name of a big name pot as you can get isn't it folks yeah and it's and it's hilarious because we've been you know how many times have i talked about how the winning the group isn't that big of a deal anymore because of the way that the, the group stages ha ha take that lapresti yeah yeah that the, the, this this year is a little bit this year is a little bit of a and and you know for the most part that's been true but this year is definitely an aberration in that regard because this is a this is a huge lineup of of teams Imagine that Chelsea magically goes goes to sleep in Russia and we beat Malmo and we win the group. Then we're looking potentially at PSG. <laughs> uh, Porto again would be hilarious. Either Borussia Dortmund or Sporting 
that 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 would be doable because the two of them are, are you know sporting isn't exactly flying and Bruce Dortmund's really in a bad spot right now. We wouldn't get anybody in Group D because that would be Inter, unless Inter pass Real at the last second. And then I mean I wouldn't mind playing Barcelona if we won the group. And then uh, you'd have either at the lot either via Real or nobody from Group F because we wouldn't be getting an Italian team. You know Red Bull Salzburg in Group G. That you know it's not like the the group winning is much better, but it was of paramount importance to 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 win this group more so than it has been since the seeding rules for the group stage draw have changed. And that's uh, that. But yeah, that was. It's a lot more manageable. It's a lot more manageable. I mean, I've I've always that, that's a take that you that you and and Chucks. Or dearly, dearly departed Chucks was not here. Uh, dearly departed. Yeah, may that sounded rest, like he died. May he rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. No. As, as I was say, the sign dead, of the cross, and yeah. we shall remember Chucks on next week's episode. I, I'm, I'm like a dog. If I don't see him, it's like he's like gone forever for me. Um, <laughs> but you know, that's a take that you and Chucks have had for a while. That you know that being first in the group like doesn't really matter that much. And that's a take that I've always opposed. Because it absolutely matters. Like if you if you check, absolutely. There, there's good teams always in first group or second group. You can always get a team that that's good or bad. But I do think that consistently going like finishing first has given you better odds in general. There's always tough teams, but it has given you better odds in general. And we have seen that the last couple of years. I mean, we drew both uh, Leon and Porto by finishing first, which in paper were. Very favorable draws. Obviously, they face planted on because paper. they are they are a terrible team. But we're talking right now on paper, and on paper they were very favorable draws. And you see it again right now, right? Like when you go down the list, when if if Juventus finished first, you have a lot of teams that you feel okay with playing. And when if they finish second, which they most likely will, you really look at that murderous row of teams, and it's like I don't think we're favored against any of them like not one of those clubs i think juventus would be favored maybe ajax maybe and that's a massive maybe like outside of that i i don't think they're going to be favored against any single one of those clubs and let alone favored i don't think they're going to have a shot against any of those teams like if they go against bayern munich if they go against liverpool if they go against one of those teams like i don't see a scenario in which we beat them like i really really don't i think those teams are just leaps and bounds better than Juventus right now. So they, they, the team bus crash, the team bus crashes is pretty much the only way that we, that, that there's no way. I mean, I really can't see a scenario in which, for example, if they draw Bayern Munich, I'd be happy if they just don't get blown out. Like if they can go out gracefully, that'd be for me, the best case scenario if we draw Bayern Munich. And that's the situation you put yourself by, by finishing in second, you go against the big top dogs. And I know that Chucks has said like, Hey, you have to play them eventually. If you want to be champions. Well, sure. Eventually. Can we make it, you know, later rather than sooner? I mean, I guess that'd be the, you know, if we can face them in the semifinals instead of in the round of 16 and get bounced yet again in round 16, like I'd rather do that. So yeah, I mean, not only was this result deflating because of the way they lost, it's also deflating because it almost, unless you get some really, really good luck, it, it almost guarantees that you're going to be going against one of the heavy favorites uh, to lift the trophy. And it almost guarantees that you're going to get bounced in the round of 16 again in a, in a situation where you needed to go as deep as possible in order to, you know, 
be as financially secure as you could possibly be given the circumstances. And they're not going to be able to do that. So it's just this carousel of, you know, mediocrity that continues to perpetuate itself. And it's just, it, it's hard to envision how they break out of it. And, and that's, I think, the, the, the toughest part of how the Chelsea game went down. It's like, we're bad now and we will continue to be bad for the foreseeable future. And that's just a bad place to be as a fan base and as a club, but, you know, as a fan base too. Two things before we transition into the Atalanta talk. You get matched up against a Liverpool or a City or a Bayern and Allegri goes ultra defensive like he did in London on Tuesday. How much do you think those teams are just licking their lips saying, oh boy, we are going to just <laughs> just tear tear them apart because, I mean... I think they need a mop. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I, it, I... It, it won't be pretty, especially knowing how... You know, once once Chelsea got that ball ball rolling at Stamford Bridge, I mean, it was like you said, Sam. Once once that first goal was in, it was, you know, kind of the the, the sinking feeling of okay, well, we've got to watch another, we've got to watch the rest of this because the game feels over at this point. No, it felt like I was I was just thinking back about the back in uh, in the year they made the Berlin final. I remember that uh, they they posted a meme where it was like a bunch of lions look at a looking at a zebra. And they put like Juventus and then all the other teams in the semifinals because everyone wanted them. And then when Juventus beat Real Madrid, like the Juventus official account, like reposted all those memes, like, you know, like being like we made the final. But now I think that I think that meme actually applies. I think everyone's going to be looking at Juventus like, oh, yeah, like that they have no shot, especially if it's one of those big teams. I mean, just the way the, the way Chelsea scored that third goal was just I mean, it was just comical. It was like. When the when upper when upperclassmen are playing like the younger kids and it's just that like they're destroying the like they're just passing the ball all over, it, it was just that's when the game went from like oh it's a bad loss to it's like a sad loss like now it's just a bummer to watch this this team play. It was varsity against freshmen and I am here to fully admit that I totally forget my second point. So we are on to Atalanta, which unfortunately, uh, I mean it. it Performance-wise, it wasn't the worst in the world, but as we know, so many of these games now, domestically, if not all of them, are must-win, and Max Allegri himself has said it. We have said it on the website. We have said it on the podcast. But now Juventus head into Tuesday's game in Salerno, seven points behind Atalanta, obviously looking like a team that has absolutely no identity whatsoever outside of a <laughs> a squad that is kind of just all over the place and i don't know i i really when you're relying on a paulo dibala free kick in deep stoppage time to salvage one point that kind of just shows you how things have gone yeah and it, it is it's a little bit of a surprise that that it's been this long considering how good atalanta has been for the last couple of years and how and how tough atalanta has played juve the last few years Yes, Atalanta are a good team now. Losing to them even at home is not necessarily out of the question. But for you to lose to Atalanta at home for the first time since I was two months old, like that's another, you talk about the psychological blows, Sergio. That's another one of those. That, that is, is the announcement that the, the Allianz is no longer the ultimate fortress that it, that it was as we, as it started to open. You know, when it took, you know, it took a year and a half for somebody to beat us in there for a long time. The only team that beat, that beat us in Europe in there was Bayern. 
like it was you know the year the year that byron had won the 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 whole thing you know now fiorentina's going in there and i just find it ironic that it comes on a night where it felt like this this crowd was as jacked up as any as we've seen this entire season chelsea match included and just (laughs) we we saw so you know like you mentioned that early stretch of of after the stadium opened when they were literally unbeatable and they just fed off that energy and this team couldn't feed off any of the energy that was in the stadium. And that's what got me excited early on watching because so much of the last few years have kind of, and obviously a lot of it had came with an empty stadium, but so much of the last few years have really, you know, kind of the, the vibe around the crowds have really not been the same as those early Scudetto years. And now it, you know, this, this Saturday was like, all right, this kind of feels like an old, you know, really kind of like the crowd rising to the occasion and well, the team didn't. Yeah. And it was, and even during the Chelsea get match, I could hear the, I could hear the away, the away section quite well for a large part of the game uh, on Tuesday as well. It, it did seem like there was, a, there was that enthusiasm, but it just, like you said, it was, you know, it, it, it just never, it never took. And, and I think that that's a, you know, you could, that it's, it's telling that at the end of the game, the only only five players went to face the ultras at the Corvus Sud at the end of the game, all of whom are guys that have won Scudetti and had been around a long time. You know, the only one that was relatively new to the team was Matthijs De Ligt. Out of those five, everybody else, you know, was off doing, you know, their own, you know, doing their own thing. But it really, it goes to show you that the, that invincibility that you had at home is, is now gone. And and it, it's it's at a point where you now start going in and wondering whether you might be going down with anybody going in there. I mean, Benevento beat us last beat us at home last year. And where are they in Serie B right now? Not actually doing that great. And again, it's are Atalanta a good team? Yes. Is Giampiero Gasperini an excellent coach? Yes. But it's still it feels like this is a game that you can at least Keep, get a point you should at least get a point and keep the status quo out of and you're not and that's what you were saying before Sergio is that 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 period of that mentality is starting to end and it has to be built back up to and the question now is how does that happen well, you know one of the big things when Antonio Conte arrived was you know here's Antonio Conte he's going to sh- bring the Juventus DNA back to Juventus he's going to bring the Juventinita back to Juventus. And a lot of people were saying the same thing about Allegri when he came, when he came back. Are we seeing that? I don't think so. Is that necessarily Allegri's fault? I think it's maybe too early to say. It's certainly Allegri's fault that he's playing outdated tactics, that he s- still refuses to play players in, in positions that get the best out of them. That goes for a large part of this game, I think, was that, you know, it just the lineup wasn't right. I was actually really surprised when Weston McKinney got hurt and Moise Kane went in instead of somebody like Rodrigo Bentancourt. That was actually kind of really a shock to me that Allegri just started going for broke in that regard instead of instead of just making a like for lights substitution and keeping running. Whether or not this kind of kickstarts him, who knows? I mean, now you're, you know, we're we're down to calling up guys from the U23s now with Chiesa down. Now, that guy happens to be Matthias Sula, who looks really damn good 
look up the goal that he scored on Tuesday in the UEFA Youth League against Chelsea. It was nice. It was tight angle, really good goal. But like you said, Sergio, how does Allegri get out of this? The only saving grace now is that the quality is about to drop of the teams that we're playing is about to drop for the next month. And maybe we can find some sort of equilibrium that'll kind of carry them and, and start building to be something better than the sum of the parts. But right now, what is there to, what is there? Yeah. Again, I, I think a lot of it, and I've always been a bit, uh, I wouldn't say hesitant, but you know, have, have a relatively healthy doubt about the whole, Oh, they just don't care. They just don't are not Juve players. They they don't care. It's like as as the game globalizes, as the game becomes, you know, what it is right now. I think all of those old myths kind of start losing some of the some of the their luster. But I will say, after you know, getting dropped for nil, after you know, really getting, I mean, when you lose a game like that, you expect at the bare least to come out, you know, guns blazing in the next one. And they just didn't. They just didn't. They lacked uh, They lacked a certain fire. They lack, And I'm, again, I don't think it's they don't care. Like, of course they care. They're professional football players. They're hyper-competitive dudes. Obviously they care. But it's it just, it, it was such a, like, if you didn't know any better, you'd think, oh, they're first in the league. They're, they're first in the table. Like, whatever. They don't, like, they really didn't look like a team fighting for their, really slim uh, they're very slim slim sliver of a chance that they still have to you know to be champions they really didn't look like they were playing like that uh you have guys that were you know that have been really really good players from the moment they they came to Juventus like Matthijs Zalik like he struggled like he struggled badly against Chelsea and he struggled badly against Atalanta like suddenly you have one of those dudes who you could you know you know you could absolutely put in your team sheet and, and be sure that he's going to deliver. And even he right now, he's having bad performances. Uh, you have guys like Alexander who for the longest amount of time, you know, was another guy that you thought, Oh, well at worst, he's going to be average. Like he's playing way below average right now. You have just a lot of guys that you just don't really trust anymore. You just don't really see good performance from them. And even in this position, when it's like, okay, it's a direct competitor for the, quote unquote title, but most likely like top four finish. And and they just come into your stadium and beat you. And you put two shots on target the whole game. It's just it's frustrating to watch. It's it's a bummer to watch. I, I do think that there's something to like Sam was saying, only five players going out and and you know and and facing the fans and facing the music. I know that also seems kind of like a you know, whatever tabloid thing, but, but it really does say something that right now there's not a lot of leaders in this club. There's not a lot of guys that because either they just don't have the the authority or they just, you know, whatever you, you might say, but there's just not, it's not a cohesive team right now, both I think on the field and off the field. I don't think it's, it's a salvageable situation at this point. And I think in any other you know, situation in any and in any other scenario, you look at this team and and you blow it up. I mean, if this were any other team, any other league, I mean, like in the NFL or the NBA or whatever, like you'd you'd be hearing a bunch of like, hey, we're gonna trade everyone for draft picks, like because you, you right now Juventus is at a point where it's like, okay, we're old, we're overpaid, and we're not good enough. Like that's just the reality of what this team is right now, 
And that's a tough, tough, tough spot to be, especially with the economic situation that they have right now. Because like I said, a fire sale or just a sell everyone and rebuild is just not going to be something feasible right now. And it's again, it's just, it's hammering the same point over and over again. Like they're not good right now. And I don't think they'll be good for a while, you know, Max Allegri or no Max Allegri. It's, it's just a, a bad team. And that will continue if they can't beat atalanta then i agree with sam like if you can't beat atalanta at home then you're not going to be a top four team like that's just going to be a, a thing and at this point i know it's going to be you know painful for everyone because they, in all likelihood they are going to have to sell off players and really rebuild from the start but maybe that's what needs to happen that maybe that's the rebuild they really really need just missing out on europe altogether blowing it up and figuring it out on the go with young players. Like Sam was saying, a guy like Matthias Sule, who looks really, really talented, giving him more shots, bring in all the guys you have on loans, giving those guys any shots and see if you can start building the next great Juve team. Because right now it just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't look great. It really, really doesn't. And we could be talking about, Hey, if that Paulo Dybala free kick curls a little bit lower, then we're talking about something else or, Federico Chiesa, you know, manages to take a shot, counterattack, you know, sure, they could have won that game even, but it's not, you know, we've been saying that for three coaches now, if this had gone the other way, if this had gone the other way, if just this one little thing, if they hadn't made this mistake, and at some point, it's like, well, if it's always a little, something little that you didn't do, perhaps it's who you are, perhaps it's just a bad team that is going to continue to be bad, and that is just who we are at this point. I know I've been hitting the youth sector with a with a stick for years, but uh, and I was saving this for our next topic. But you you gave me a good opportunity to bring it up now. Chelsea played five players on Tuesday that were straight out of their academy against us. Three in the starting lineup, two more came on as subs. Two of them scored. It is not sustainable to just have absolutely no production out of your youth sector for the first team because eventually stuff like this will happen and you're not going to have anything to fall back on and look at why they had to go to the youth too. Yeah. Yeah, Because they had the transfer ban. They had the transfer ban. Exactly. Like I think that, you know, just bringing that back to Juventus, I think what would have to happen for Juventus is exactly that missing out on Europe, going either to Europa league or conference league or whatever it is that, that is the second, third tier. You want the conference league so bad, Sergio. I really, really want the conference league. I, I want the Conference League so bad. And it's like something like that has to happen because it, it has to become untenable to continue on this path. And for some people, for some fans, it has it has been untenable for a while now. But, you know, it, it's like a bad gambler who's already down and it's the only way they can, you know, get back out of that hole is to by keep gambling. Like it feels, Juventus feels like they're stuck in that. It's like we already have way too much invested into this team. So we're going to keep doubling down and doubling down, doubling down when what they need is just to full on, you know, tear it down, rebuild, start, start back up. Is it going to be rough as a fan to watch the team, you know, miss out on Europe, miss out on big transfer targets, play with a bunch of young guys, maybe selling a, a lot of the guys you have right now? Absolutely. But unless something dramatically changes, I, I fear that we're just going to be continued on this, you know, sort of overpaid players sort of bad players and not to go into the worst case scenario but that's kind of how arsenal started so 
you never want to get into a situation and when you're looking at Arsenal as, you know, your probable future. So it really, Juventus has to, to figure it out and figure it out quick. And Arsenal are like that with 10 times the budget that we have. Like Arsenal are spending, Arsenal was spending like 88, like 60 or 70 million euros this year on a defender from Brighton and Hove that I'd never heard of before. And, and, and then you th- look at what, what we're going to have. And, and I hate to bring this up, but is Italy going to have to dial back on stadium capacity again and cut into that revenue even more because the, the, you know, there are some troubling COVID numbers in Europe right now. The World Health Organization kind of considers it like the, the hot, the hotbed of the pandemic right now especially Central Europe, which, you know, is not that far from the Italian border. You know, the, the financial situation is, is really dire and it, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a certain amount of, of it's going to take a, a particular type of mind to get out of it. Unfortunately, the guy that got us out of it the last time is running Inter now. So that change has to come from the very, very top. And Maybe there's an opportunity for that too. Well, since you mentioned, I, 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 I handed you that one, Danny. <laughs> I know. I was about to say, since you've mentioned transfers. Yes, Sam, indeed. We will transition into our final topic of the day. And since there is so much going on, I think it's safe to assume that Twitter questions will be returning next week. Obviously, before the Atalanta game, there was the news that Juventus are being investigated by Italian authorities for some false accounting, I think is how they properly described it and basically the cliff notes version is that juventus are being investigated and i believe it's other Serie A clubs so if sam since you're on video if you want to nod and say that yes i am correct feel free to nod and say yes okay i get the thumbs up so i'm good so my mind hasn't completely gone to crap <laughs> during this juventus week but juventus from are being investigated by the italian financial authorities for Obviously, there are a multitude of swap deals and the capital gains things that we are deals that we have spent many, a, many a minutes on this podcast and many awards talking about on the blog over the last few years. And uh, I think it's safe to say the the Artur Miram Pjanic swap deal in the summer of 2020 is kind of the headliner of it. And I believe the total is for they're looking into 42 plus Valenza deals from 2018 to this past summer between Juventus and other Italian and European clubs. So obviously when you are being investigated by any uh, branch of the Italian government, that is never a good thing. I've seen some people try and downplay this. I've seen other people say like myself, take this a little more seriously and think about the ramifications to come out of it. So I don't know. It's, we, we very much know that Juventus has tried to get creative over the last few years because of both the pandemic and everything they've had to do to try and make up for the loss in income when, when stadiums were empty and, and everything. So it's, uh, it's very concerning from my point of view, and obviously we don't know how serious these charges are or if there are charges to come up just yet. But if you are, like I said, if you are being investigated by the Italian government for just the simple amount of deals that Juventus are at right now, and I believe the club issued a statement saying they are fully cooperating. There's been reports that uh, Federico Cherubini has been cooperating with them. And essentially, I think it was like he talked with investigators for like eight, nine hours 
this weekend. Yeah, that that's that that's a long that's an interrogation. That, that's that's an interrogation. Yeah, and it it I believe he was essentially in there. I think the headline from Gazetta was essentially to explain the ways of Paratici, which <laughs> you know basically say why he was doing these kind of deals he was doing since Cherubini was the right hand man to uh, Juve's old chief football officer who's now at Spurs. So. I don't know. It's it's concerning for me, and I know some. Like I said, some people are downplaying it, but this 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 seems like it could become a big deal. Yeah, I have a lot. A lot of people I know are a lot of people I know are downplaying this. A lot of people I know are saying that it's a it's a, a witch hunt for the Super League. It's like retribution for the Super League. But that's you know the Italian government, the Guardia di Finanza does not take orders from UEFA. Like this is like the, this is like as if the SEC went to the Dallas Cowboys and said you're doing financial weirdness, and also it it goes back a long way. It goes back, you know. I'll open up the can of worms, like I said before we started recording. It goes back to when Cristiano Ronaldo signed. 2018 is when they started looking at these. 2018 is when we signed Cristiano Ronaldo and started this massive financial outlay that needed things shifted around. I mean, you remember when when Juventus first signed Ronaldo and the the absolute panic that they that they had in trying to offload Gonzalo, Gonzalo Higuain's salary that year once he was once he was gone, you know, Juve that 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 move was was you know it it I had always said that move had a stretch to the absolute max and then the, the pandemic knocked it over. Now, at the same time, like you said, it's not just Juventus. In fact, Juvent, Juventus have the most in terms of quantity of moves. Juventus are the most are the biggest name on this list. The single largest transfer on the list, though, belongs to Napoli. That's Victor Osimhen, who was apparently that deal involved like four different players, none of whom actually played for Lille after that. They were all offloaded really fast. So at the same time, all of the people are like, oh, Juventus is cheating again. Rah, rah. No, that's not it, it. You know, this is, you know, this is not just Juve. This is Napoli. This is they're also looking, I, uh, Corriere dello Sport said today, they're looking at Napoli, Roma, Atalanta, Genoa, and Sampdoria as the targets of, of this all. This is, a, this, is, this is a significant chunk of the league that they're looking at. It's not just us, but it, is, it could have ma- major ramifications. You know, it could be as simple as the club getting fined, which, you know, okay, not, not great considering what the team's finances are right now, but fine could get docked points, which may or may not matter by the end of the season. But one way or the other, if there, if the, if something comes out of this investigation, that has to be the last straw for Andrea Agnelli, right? Like that has to be the point where either he has to suck it up and resign or John Elkin just has to look at him and say, cuz you're done, right? Or am I just like, or, or is that just wishful thinking, do you think? I mean, it could be wishful thinking, but we've seen Agnelli take describe him as hit after hit or whatever but you know whether it's the the saudi disaster or you know the one year with saudi that obviously ended poorly the the pirlo experiment that i guess my (laughs) my view on it has changed a little bit after actually you know watching pirlo work in the amazon dock and then obviously allegri's start has not started well and then you put the super league on top of it as as the cherry on on top of the sunday and it's and it, and and Ronaldo and how and that the Ronaldo ended. signing exactly and the Ronaldo signing not working out well in terms of results on the field so it's been a lot but I don't know you know obviously Agnelli is the president he carries a lot of weight both 
in the family and the club itself. So I've thought about that too. It's just what would it actually take for Andrea Agnelli to not just resign, but, you know, do the patented, you know, kind of like Allegri the first time around the mutual parting of ways. I don't know. Yeah. Probably nothing. Uh, when your family <laughs> owns the whole damn thing, you know, you probably get a pretty long leash. I would, I would, I would I mean, venture family, a guess. Yes. Yes. The family owns it, but I mean, don't quote me on this because I'm not an expert on the Italian social scene. But if if my memory serves me right, I've heard people say that John Elkin and Andrea Agnelli do not have the greatest of relationships with each other. And John is the one that runs everything. Yeah, maybe. So, maybe. Like he's the ultimate, he has the ultimate say. Who knows? I, um, I, I guess th- this is, I, I stand firmly in, in a middle ground when it comes to this thing. In, in the real world, I'm a business major. So this, this kind of somehow really interests me because it's, it's something that I've always thought it's like, what's a player really worth, right? Like, it's not like a commodity. It's not like a, like a, like an iPhone that, you know, you know what the worth is. It's set by the market. If someone wants to sell you an iPhone for $50,000, you'd be like, no, because I know that it's worth this amount of dollars. Uh, but for a player, really a player is worth whatever it is that a club is willing to pay for. Right. Like there's no set thing. Like if, if a play, if suddenly tomorrow Real Madrid decides that I'm worth 15 million euros, who's to say that I'm not that worth that, you know, like it's, it's really, it's something very, it's a gray area. And I'm, I'm, I have here uh, the, you know, the, the guy that who's reporting this for the New York times is uh, Tariq Pandya, who I'm sure I butchered his name, so I'm sorry, but he's saying that uh, 62 transfers are are being investigated. 42 of them in both Juventus, including the Joao, the Joao Cancelo Danilo swap and the Pjanic and Arthur swap. But the one that apparently is the most egregious is like Sam was saying, the the Victor Osimhen deal, which saw four players uh, of, according to him, little pedigree, go to Lille for 20 million euros apparently only one of them has appeared in a match who is a backup goalkeeper the other three are all back in italy two currently play in the lowest ranks of italian soccer one now plays semi-professionally and for juventus this the transfers that are being investigated are the eight million you know the plus balance of eight million between marley ake from marseille and franco tonia Another 8 million swap with Barcelona between Marcus Mendes and Mateus Pereira and the Nicola Rovella, which is probably the one that's most you know, relevant to Juventus right now, in which we sent over uh, Manolo Portanova and Alia Petrelli for a combined 18 million euros. Between both of those dudes, they have played 144 minutes of top flight professional football. So, it, I mean, it's it's clearly that there's something fishy going on. But again, I don't think that legally speaking or financially speaking, there it's going to come out. Anything's going to come out because, yeah, who's to say if Genoa believes that Manolo Portanova is such a dazzling young talent that he's worth 10 million euros, even though he's played not even two full games in Serie A. You know, it's tough to to prove otherwise. Do I think it's kind of like a shady practice? Absolutely, it is. But it's it's tough. I I just can't see. And again, I'm not a lawyer, but it's tough for me to to see how they mount a case. Not only against Juventus, but against all the all the teams involved in this, because it's 
you know, like I said, if someone believes that's what a guy is worth, how do you disprove that? How do you prove that he's not worth that in a, in a legal sense, I guess? Obviously, you can say, hey, he's played, you know, 100 minutes of Serie A. He's obviously not worth 10 million euros. But, you know, there's not a rule book. There's not a, like a like a like a thing set in stone of what's a thing supposed to worth. So, so you know, it's. It's going to be very interesting just from a, of a precedent standpoint. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they pursue this case and how the case gets resolved because this whole swap thing, it's, it's been going on the last couple of years. It's a relatively new thing, but from the moment we started seeing it, I remember in this podcast, I remember writing about it on, on the blog about how sketchy and shady the whole thing was and about how everyone was saying, Oh, this is glorified, you know, book cooking which it is didn't you but didn't you call it financial doping at one point sergio because it is it absolutely yeah. is like it's 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 obviously what it is but to prove it from a legal standpoint i think it's going to be really really tricky to do so i don't i don't see juventus you know getting anything more than maybe a slap in the wrist but just from a reputational standpoint it's it's probably not great to be investigated by the italian authorities uh, you know, going back to the initial point, do I think this reflects badly on Agnelli? Absolutely. Do I think this is the final nail in his coffin? Probably not. I think, I think I, I would actually bet if Juventus does not make the Champions League, I would put much more weight into that being like the, you know, a big reason if he resigned or if he was relieved of his duties or however you want to call it. I would put that as a bigger weight than, than wherever this, investigation ends up going because like i said they're not the only club involved they're not even the most egregious ones that are involved and it's going to be something tough to fight something tough to prove i guess and you know in a legal sense but but yeah it's definitely interesting it's definitely great when you lose two huge games one by a blowout and then the government is investigating your organization it's really it's a great point to be a Juventus fan. It really is. Like we're re- really living in a, in a golden era of Juventus football. When you were talking, Sergio, I, I looked up a couple of not swap deals, but just general deals that made me laugh. Kind of, you know, the, the outrageous valuations of players. And the most notable one for me, obvious, uh, and it might be for other people as well, is the Stefano Serrato deal with Genoa, where Juventus sold him back to Genoa not so long after buying him. And, you know, obviously we make, we poke fun at Storaro because it's easy to, but he's not the greatest footballer in the world by, by any means necessary. And Juventus sold him back to Genoa after buying him for 5.5 million euros. They sold him back to Genoa for 16.5 million and made a, a positive economic, you know, a capital gain of 13 million euros. So, you know, as much as the swap deals are very much, under the microscope right now just the value like you said the valuations are just you know we for the last few years have just kind of gone absolutely haywire and you like it's it's totally crazy to to think about kind of how now in retrospect like they they sold this guy for how much you know they they bought this guy for how much they they made this this kind of money off a move that really didn't seem all that nondescript at all. So yeah, it's 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 really funny. I I wrote about it in the in the graph back, but the, the Portanova deal. Uh, I I was looking at their stats and transfer marked, which uh, you know, Grant is not the 
you know, it's not the law by any means, but transfer market values both players combined at 1.25 million euros. Exactly. Which, <laughs> which to me is, it, it. look, I don't know if they're right, but it seems like a lot more, like a lot closer to reality than 18 million euros for two guys who haven't really even seen the field with Genoa. I, I was looking, Portanova has two appearances and the other guy who I already forgot his name, Petarelli, he's on loan in Serie B. So it's like, what are we talking about here? It's also, obviously just made Andrea, up numbers. Remember Andrea Favilli? Yeah, yeah, I do. For like yeah. eight, who went for like almost eight to, I think, Genoa? Yeah, or, I mean, there, no, there was that one summer, it was, it was what? It was Favilli. It was what the big old lug of a striker they bought from, or they signed on a free from Parma after Parma went bankrupt. Uh, 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 Alberto Cherry and a couple other. Oh yes, a couple other youngsters, and it's just like, how how are we getting these figures? These guys have barely played on the senior level at all. Yeah, it's crazy. It's great, and, and like I said, if if I'm Genoa and I have a bunch of yeah. lawyers asking me about those deals, it's like, hey. We believe a whole heck of a lot in Manolo Portanova. We believe that dude's going to be a start and we got a, a freaking bargain at 10 million euros before he becomes the next Messi and he's worth like 100 million. And if he doesn't, well, whoops, we're a bad team. We like we did a, a poor job scouting him. Like, is that a crime? Like, is, is it a crime that we're incompetent? Probably not. So, I mean, it's it's hard to prove how they 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 make that a crime. And it's it's great because in the in the statement for Juventus, they said that they're cooperating with investigations and they are in line with the international practice in the football industry. So it's like they know that everyone does this and they know that it's like a common practice and that it's going to be tough that they prove it legally that they're like it's I don't even know if it's a crime. It's probably a crime, but how do you prove it? And just in general, I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see how how the whole thing unfolds. It really is. I think it's going to set a, a big precedent on how transfers, you know, are dealt with moving forward. Not just for Juventus, not just in Italy, but in general for, for the whole world. It makes me wonder if Italy is looking into this in particular because, I mean, look at how many clubs Italy has lost in the last 10, 15 years. How much... How many bankrupt every year there's a roll call of bankruptcies in Serie B and Serie C. Like that, like you know, we just, just lost Chiva, um, just lost uh Kiev Verona this year. Siena went up, Parma went up. There are a lot of teams, some of which have at least name pedigree, you know, in terms of just having been around for a really long time, that have been, you know, I remember I was at Bleacher Report when Parma died and i wrote a couple of different articles about how that team about how that team went went bankrupt and just the the out and out criminality that went on at, at while that team was going bankrupt in 20 oh gosh when was that 2014 2015 and and you know yeah you have the phoenixes and the phoenix clubs and everything but that that I think that one reason, one of the reasons that this is happening in Italy specifically is just how much this kind of book cooking covers up fin- serious financial problems until it's too late. And then a club goes bankrupt. Like I remember, like I remember that uh, reading what's uh, at one place that when Parma went under that, that they had something like 
46 or 47 different players out on loan in different places. I think I remember reading some, uh, a player walked in. He said, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm under contract. I'm a Parma player. And they're like, okay, yeah, just um, sit over there until we figure out something to do with you. Like it was like, they didn't, they couldn't keep track of the, of, of all that stuff. I do feel like there's a, an, there's an eye in this towards, towards preventing that and preventing this, this real, real eyesore in terms of Italian soccer of just losing club after club after club because there is no financial stability. And I think that's a super, you know, interesting and fascinating point because, you know, let's say Juventus, you know, they, they get caught in this and, and whatever it's, it's at the end of the day, they actually do have valuable assets. They do have good players that they could, in case everything goes bad, that they could sell and actually get profit. And even if that goes wrong, they have, you know, they're part of X have, or worse comes yeah, to worse. Yeah, they have business daddy. Yeah, they, they inject a bunch of money and that's that. But Genoa, you know, if if Genoa, sure, they can put Bernardo Portanova as an asset for 10 millions in their books. But if he does not pan out, which he probably won't, you know, you, you start, <laughs> I mean, you have to, like any other asset, you have to start devaluing it. And you had a 10 million euro assets that ends up becoming nothing or worth nothing where do you go from there how many of those assets that you just end up writing for writing off for nothing can you sustain until like like sam say until that actually becomes an issue for you as a club and and that to me i think is the biggest problem the, the smaller clubs that are you know being okay with this type of dealings sure I, i'm guessing maybe in the short term it helps them but you do enough of these deals for, you know, phony players that are not worth what you're putting in your books that they are actually worth. And I don't, I don't know how long you can sustain this. So I think it's, it's, it's definitely a thing that like it usually is. I think it's going to end up screwing over smaller clubs rather than the big clubs that they're not right now. They're the focus obviously because they're the brand names and people are going to focus on them, but really the biggest impact is going to felt on those smaller clubs that are, doing the same thing, but they don't have the financial safeguards to, you know, to hold on and to, to keep being a club if things go south. And they will go south because at the end of the day, there's only so many times that you can say a guy is worth a lot more than he actually is until you end up, you know, paying the consequences. So like I said, I mean, this is just something that's super fascinating to me. And I'm, would I wish that Juventus was not involved? Absolutely. But, you know, it is what it is. And, and, I think it's, again, it's just going to be really, really interesting to see how the whole thing gets sorted out. And I know kind of this current world is, you know, a lot of the lexicon has become about like the COVID variants. I feel like this is kind of like a variant out of co-ownership going by the wayside. Mm. And now, obviously, this is kind of like the the morphed economic part of it. And to, to kind of put a bow on it before we wrap things up, I mean, how... And it, it's not a obviously it wasn't a swap deal, but how much of this summer's transfer rumors was about Juventus want to sell Ronaldo for X this certain amount of money just so that they wouldn't post a loss on the books? I mean, it, it that's essentially what a lot of the the market now is is really and why I mean, Christ, and why the Christian Romero deal was criticized so hard was because it was a loss. Yeah, it was a loss. And then you see, and then obviously you had added insult to injury where Atalanta spent him off to, to Tottenham for 50 something million. So, yeah, I mean, that's what the, the market these days is so much about the books on top of the player. And I mean, obviously that's always been the case, you know, money comes in, money comes out, but 
now since as Sam is, as Sam and we've mentioned before, the current economic state of both Juventus and just the, the sport in general because of the pandemic and empty stadiums for a year and a half, so much of so much of the concentration is really on, you know, how can we make a positive impact on our bottom line just because <laughs> just because we're struggling so much financially. And hopefully something comes out of this because if if it doesn't, then it'll it'll just continue and we'll we'll continue to see Juventus youth players who never step foot at the Allianz Stadium being spun off for, you know, who knows how much. So on that note, we are done for the day. Thank you all for listening as always. Like I said before, Twitter questions will make their return next week. And so will Chuck's hopefully. So as always, you can listen to us on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you are a listener on Apple Podcasts, feel free to rate us a review, give us a nice rating, all of that good stuff. So for Sam Lepresti, for Sergio, and for Chucks, who is out of mind, but not out of life, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know, trying to make a joke of what you said earlier. (laughs) So for, for everybody here, this is Danny saying thank you very much for listening, and we'll hopefully be in a better mood next week.